Coming up, from 68 teams to the Final Four, you couldn't have picked or asked for four schools with winning pedigrees to set the stage in New Orleans next weekend. I'll explain how they got there and preview what may lie ahead. There were two big transactions in the NFL last week, but the question out of Kansas City is, are they better without Tyreek Hill? What in the world is going on with the Boston Celtics? They are now first in the Eastern Conference. There's still a month ago in the hockey season. The baseball season is just 10 days away. A major player bows out of the Masters. A surprise retirement in tennis. And an even bigger surprise for my zero of the week. You know the motto, always coming correct, direct, and in full effect. I'll have it all in just a moment. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to... Listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J. Wills Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Here in this chilly northeast morning, we are getting ready to close out the first quarter of 2022. Yes, where did these three months go? I do not know, but as I've said time after time on the podcast, we all know how fast time flies. We don't want to wish it away. We don't want to wait for the weekend. We don't want to wait till we go on vacation. Although there's a lot to discuss and a lot to get into personally and professionally, I'll have it all broken down on, oh yes, of course, some sports, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for now 244 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, March the 28th, in the year of our Lord, 2022. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what's expected on this podcast, is as follows. We are just 10 days away from opening day of the baseball season. All is pretty quiet. A lot of the big free agents and even some of the middling ones have signed with their respective teams. Now it's just a matter of play ball as we look forward to April 7th. And although there's not much going on, but I guess the big news, not only here locally, but maybe throughout the sport is whether or not Brian Cashman is going to put forth that generous and I'm sure an offer that Aaron Judge cannot refuse as the right fielder is looking to pretty much sign his name on a dotted line for the rest of his Yankee tenure. Will it happen? Will it not happen? Aaron Judge is a free agent at the end of the year. 
We shall see, but that's going to be the big highlight I'll discuss when we talk about baseball. In the NFL, Matt Ryan's tenure in Atlanta has come to a close, but even bigger was Tyreek Hill getting traded and has a new address as he takes his talents to South Beach. Is that a plus or a minus for a chief team that has been dominant in the AFC over the last four years? Are they as indestructible, even though bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster and even Marquez Valdez-Scantling? We will discuss that later on. As well as what's happening in the NBA, the Boston Celtics, I don't know what to say. I don't have answers. I, I'm actually speechless, as you could tell by my delivery here and even my demeanor to a certain extent as I'm knocking over water bottles. But we'll talk about the Celtics as they are currently first place in the Eastern Conference. I would have never imagined it, especially when they were 18 and 21 earlier this year. Everything that's going on with the NBA as we're just two weeks away from the closeout of their regular season and the NHL. We might as well play until the 4th of July because we are still a month plus, a month from tomorrow, where the conclusion of the NHL season will come. So if you're looking forward to a Stanley Cup playoff run, you still have to wait pretty much until the run of the roses where the Kentucky Derby will take place just a few days after the regular season will conclude. So we got that to discuss, a big announcement in golf, as well as a wild and crazy Hero and Zero of the Week that you won't want to miss, so I'll have that on deck for you guys and gals. But we have to start off with the madness has now come to a head. The Final Four are left standing and will make their way down to New Orleans in just a matter of days. If not, I'm sure there are a couple of teams that probably would float there, considering the way this tournament has gone. And I'm going to take this from a big-picture approach and then I'll go back and highlight what had taken place over the weekend. I'm not going to break down every game. I get it that there were 14 games in total. But when I look to see how this is all unfolded, and when we take a look at these final four schools that will clash this coming Saturday night, and then, of course, the championship game a week from tonight, the college basketball gods had it set up, unless you're in the region of Kentucky or in Southern California with UCLA, you couldn't have asked for four better schools to be here. Because when you have a matchup, and I guess the ultimate would have been Duke and North Carolina for a national championship, but we're going to get that in a semifinal. But when you have those two schools, as well as Kansas, who is the only one seed left standing, and a Villanova team that, going back to 2016, has won two national titles... If you're the suits at TBS and TNT, and it's an absolute joke that CBS is not going to broadcast these games, and we understand with the lay of the land here, as far as TV goes, having the cable channels involved and them getting a chance to have these games on their network, and I believe it would be TBS, not TNT, but to have those games on that network, and I get it, everybody has it, so it's not like you have to fish for these games or really have to go up and down the dial to try to find out where the hell TBS is. But it is a joke that CBS is not going to be able to have these games on their network. But put that aside, when we have these four schools here, and knowing that the first game is going to be Villanova and Kansas, and followed that by North Carolina and Duke, not only if you're a college basketball fan, but even if you're a hoops fan, or just a sports fan. These are schools that you are not only familiar with, but you're also familiar with them winning. 
And granted that Kansas hasn't won since 2008, but Duke, Villanova, and North Carolina have all won pretty much in the last six to eight years. And knowing that these schools are going to be front and center, here comes Saturday night, and then obviously two days after that, I don't understand how you cannot be up to watch the drama, to watch the participants, and we know who the coaches are, and we're going to get to that in a minute when we get this full circle and look ahead to next Saturday. But when this was all said and done, and knowing that these four schools are going to have an opportunity to play for a national championship or obviously be the one that's going to be standing on the mountaintop sometime seven days from now, tell me which school or which institution would you rather see other than these four schools? And I get it, I mentioned Kentucky, but we all know they were long gone after game one. UCLA, they just got bumped over the weekend by North Carolina. I don't want to hear any other school. You can forget about Gonzaga. We'll talk about them in a minute. Obviously, Baylor and what happened with them last weekend. There isn't any other school that you would want to have here for this season at this moment. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But as we now go backwards and look at what has happened here over the weekend, and I'll start with the teams that have now made it to the Final Four. And when we look at the one seed, the last one standing in Kansas, They had a very easy road to get to the Sweet 16, and Providence was not going to be a walkover. Providence, who had the big regular season, and although you could pretty much say that they may not have been deserving of that because they didn't play out the full schedule, and we saw what happened there in the Big East, not even making it to the Big East final, but here they were, knowing that it was going to be pretty much a dogfight between them and the Jayhawks, and of course, Kansas was able to prevail there, 66-61, And then when you look at what happened yesterday, even though they were down at the half, 35-29, and it made you think Kansas, who has had a tough time over recent years when it comes to a regional final, and there was no way that Miami, who a couple days prior beat Iowa State, that they were going to just lay down and lay a big giant deuce there at center court. They came out of the gate to start the second half storming to the tune where they held the Hurricanes to only 15 points in the second half and blew their doors open to a 76-50 victory. And Kansas, we know that their history, even with Bill Self winning that national title where it was almost a decade and a half ago, and Kansas has been down this road so many times that you have to wonder whether or not they're going to finally get over the hump. And here they are back in the Final Four. We have seen them down this road. And when we take a look at Kansas, to think that with all the one seeds, that when you rank them, you figure Gonzaga, who had the number one seed overall in the tournament, and in Baylor, you cannot disrespect a national champion that was defending their title from last year. And whether or not you thought or believed in Arizona, as big as a regular season, and obviously they got off to a great start here in the tournament, but... You could probably rank Kansas third out of those top four seeds. And now they have an opportunity to be the one team that can move on, win a title, and could pretty much shut up everybody along the way knowing that Kansas, granted that self has a title, 
But this would really stamp him if he's able to get those two victories and be the last team cutting the nets down in the Superdome next Monday. So I'll start with that one seed. And in that side of the bracket, you have Villanova, who disposed of Michigan and an upstart Houston team that beat Arizona, and I'll get to them in a minute. But we know Villanova is a team that has the medal, that has the toughness, they could score. We know how good of a coach Jay Wright is, and we've seen him on this level. We've seen him on this stage. And again, as I said earlier, twice in the last six years, winning national championships. And are you surprised that Villanova, all right, and granted, you could say that Arizona got knocked off and they may have been tough competition for the Wildcats, but they weren't there. And Houston, who just dominated Arizona from the start and did not have any answers for the Cougars, but Villanova always seems to find a way, whether the game is close, whether the game happens to get out of reach, Villanova just has something in their DNA. And that this isn't 30 years ago or even almost 40 years ago when you had a guy in Roley Massimino with a bunch of seniors, with a bunch of players that certainly had a close-knit bond for three, even four years. Those days of college basketball are long gone. But you have to give it up for what they've done because a lot of people thought that Villanova, of course they're a dangerous team, and of course that they could have made a Final Four, and they were the only one of the four teams in my bracket that are still standing. But is anybody surprised that Villanova is still here and has another chance to win a championship, which will be rarefied air if Jay Wright can do that? We're talking Bobby Knight, Roy Williams, of course, Coach K, John Wooden, Jim Calhoun, coaches that have won three national championships. And then for him to do it, if he does complete the task in a six, seven-year span, I'm not going to call them a dynasty. I'm not going to go as far as saying that this is one of the better college basketball teams that we've seen throughout the history of college basketball. I'm not going to go as far as saying that. But you do have to respect this run if Jay Wright is able to secure another championship for that school, knowing that it's not only just hard to win one national title, just ask Mark Few, or even John Calipari for that matter, but to win three over the course of seven years, that's as good as it gets. And then when you go to the other side of the bracket, I mean, what could you say? We know Duke has been the story ever since the first tip and Coach K getting into the final stages here of his career, knowing that it's now another Final Four under his belt, I believe the 13th of his illustrious career. And Duke, we knew it was going to be a tough match against Texas Tech, a very solid and above-average defensive team, although they can't really score, but Duke just like you saw the week before against Michigan State, they, Texas Tech didn't lose the game. It was more Duke just playing well and beating the Red Raiders. And then what we saw earlier with Gonzaga losing badly to Arkansas. And as I mentioned about Mark Few, you can't have all these one seeds going into the tournament and being the top team in the nation 
and then fizzle out the way he did, knowing that last year, okay, they lose a national title game, they probably spent all their energy in that classic game against UCLA in the Final Four to where they pretty much were spent, where Baylor just ran him out of the gym. All right, that's not the way you want to go out, but you can understand why. This year, it's inexplicable how Arkansas was just able to dominate them physically. We know Gonzaga was very sloppy with the ball. Not only that, they weren't able to hit free throws. Just an atrocious game overall where Mark Few is not going to sleep until summertime. But it's not about Gonzaga at the moment. But I will say, once they lost to Arkansas, I thought right in that instant, the red carpet to the Final Four and maybe even to a national championship is laid out or has been laid out for the Duke Blue Devils. And not to say that Gonzaga was going to be bulletproof or that it was going to be a shoe-in for them to win and beat Duke. But you just knew that the way this year has gone, the swan song for Coach K, and now as we get to this juncture where he's going to go up against his arch rival, the nemesis. And when you think about it, other than the ACC loss to Virginia Tech, the only loss that he's pretty much had this month was in their building, Cameron Indoor, that final game as we talked about a couple weeks ago, against the Tar Heels. And what they've done, it may not be your vintage Carolina team, it may not be the team that you've come to know and love, whether you go back to the days of Phil Ford or later on Michael Jordan, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, later than that, Jerry Stackhouse, Rasheed Wallace, Sean May, Rashard McCants, Raymond Felton, uh, we could go on down the list. This team that a lot of people thought, yes, they could be dangerous, but they have zero bench. They have to rely on their starters to play pretty much 38, 39 minutes in order for them to get through to make it to a Final Four. Well, here they are. And they're led by their tremendous forward, Armando Baycott. They do have some moxie. They do have some toughness. They've shown that. And this is under first-year coach Hubert Davis, the former player. Going back to his days in North Carolina, and of course, was a Nick player for so many years. But who would have thought that a Carolina team, which kind of reminds me of the UCLA team from last year, because if you remember, UCLA, off the top of my head, I believe that they were an 11 seed to make it to the Final Four. And even though it was an unexpected ride for them to make it to play against Gonzaga, as we talked about a few minutes ago, in that classic Final Four game. But Carolina has all the makings of that team because granted that they're an eighth seed and they're the lowest seed going into the Final Four, as we all know, but this isn't a Cinderella team. This isn't a team that you're just going to easily dismiss and be like, ah, you know, there's no way that they're going to make it to a championship game or even get past Duke. No, you think... Everybody right up the road there, Tobacco Road, where both schools are just separated by eight miles, that they are not salivating at the thought of knocking out Coach K, not only in Cameron Indoor, but also in a chance to go to a national championship. And that is going to be your late game on TBS, I believe 907 or 847, whatever the tip is going to be. But that is your late game. And then Villanova and Kansas, and they have a history, which we'll get to in a minute. But Carolina... Although people may be surprised that they're here, 
and knowing that the school and everything that the banners, the players that have gone through there, the tradition, and it's just as rich and deep as Duke. And I sure don't even need to break down the rivalry between Duke and North Carolina. And this is the first time they're meeting in this setting, which just makes for fascinating, not only just the matchup itself, but fascinating to see, is this going to be it for Coach K? Will North Carolina thwart the Blue Devils again as they did just four weeks ago? Really three and a half when you think about it. And I'll get to those storylines in a second, but this is a tournament that whether or not you're a sports fan, the biggest Dynamo College basketball fan, or as I said, a hoops fan, if you're not excited about these four teams and these two games that are going to take place on Saturday, then A, you need to get your pulse checked, and B, you're not really a sports fan. And as for me, who sadly has pretty much left college basketball in his rearview mirror because we all know it's a three-week sport now. It's not the same the way it was and how I followed it going back into the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s. We're in the teens with the one-and-dones and how the sport has pretty much evolved just for these three weeks or really the two-and-a-half weeks in March and for the first weekend and Monday in April. It's not the same sport. But you have to love how this tournament has unfolded and how it's come down to these final four schools. And the sad part is is that I'm actually going to be away, and I'll get to that a little bit later on. I'm going to be away this coming week and this weekend. Actually, I'll be on the West Coast. So unlike the normal start times that I'm accustomed to, the 6 o'clock and then the 8.40 start here in the East, I'm going to have to pay attention to it three hours behind. And there's going to be a point in my day that I, not that I'm going to forget, but I'm going to look at the time and say, oh, wait a minute, it's 345, the game's not going to start. What? 345, the first half's already begun. That's how it's going to be for me. So because I'm traveling, because I'm going to be away, and I may not be in front of a TV at that time, this is where it's going to be super tricky for yours truly to just get a complete feel and grasp for these two games. Now, of course, I'm going to do my best to follow basket by basket because I don't know what my plan is going to be this coming Saturday. I know the wife's going to say, huh, the hell you're going to be watching two basketball games while we're on vacation. But I give you a fair warning only because these two games, unlike maybe years past where you don't really have an idea or even just a good feeling for a certain team, I mean, we can look at the Final Four last year. You know, Houston and Baylor, those were two schools that, although they had great runs to get to where they were, but are you going to run to the set to watch those two teams play? Absolutely not. Gonzaga-UCLA, we understand UCLA and their history in the sport understood, and Gonzaga trying to get to another national title and win, and that was the late game. All right, that was one that you certainly wanted to at least pay attention to, but these two games, I don't know what I'm going to do. But you know I'll be on top of it as much as I possibly can. And let's get to that real quick. Because when we look at these four games, and the first game being Villanova and Kansas, and these two schools have a history with one another. And they happen to be during the championship runs by the Villanova Wildcats. Because when you look back in 2016, 
Villanova beat Kansas in the regional final to get themselves to the final four. And then two years later, the Wildcats beat the Jayhawks in the semifinal there in the final four. So you know that Bill Self and company, not only is there going to be a lot of pressure to finally get over the hump and beat Villanova, but even if they do that, they still have to go through either Duke or North Carolina in order to win the thing. So although there may be some moral victories if they finally get past Jay Wright and his crew, but they still have one more mountain to climb, and that's one thing that we cannot forget. Because it's easy to anoint Kansas if they, let's say if they win 75-62 and in dominant fashion. Right away, people are going to think, oh, Kansas is going to win the whole thing. They've been able to pretty much navigate through this tournament without having that nail-biter of a game. And we all know there's going to be one game that each one of these teams are going to have to deal with when it comes to having to overcome some adversity, some pressure, making a big shot, hitting a big free throw, etc. Kansas has pretty much had, I don't like to say a cakewalk to this point, but it's pretty much been smooth sailing. And knowing that they have to get past Villanova to get where they want to go and win a national title, not only is it going to be them trying to slay the demons, but in the process also still trying to win a national title. So that's one thing you have to keep in mind. And as for Villanova, I'm not going to say they're going to chase history, but as I said before, to win three national championships here over the course of seven years, is not only just remarkable, but with the interchangeable parts that the way college basketball is in this day and age, for Jay Wright to get to that, and I'm going to root for him to do that, because that's something that we may not see for quite some time. You're not going to see the back-to-back unless you have that dominant team that's going to want to come back and do it again. Usually, if you're going to have that dominant team, it's a one-and-done, and they're going to go on to the NBA, especially if you have key players that are NBA-ready. So I'm going to root for Villanova. Now, I picked them to go to a national title game and lose to Gonzaga. So now I'm going to pick Villanova to win the whole thing. I'm not saying that they're going to, or certainly I would suggest that you guys bet Villanova to win, but I'm just rooting for Jay Wright. Part of it is Big East, but even more so, I would like to see Wright win a third title to kind of complete this run. Not to say that he's going to go on to bigger and better things, but you understand where I'm coming from. And it's unfortunate because he's going to do it without Justin Moore, the junior guard who tore his right Achilles. And obviously, you're not going to see him come Saturday night or beyond if Villanova does win. Tough blow. You figure that you get to this point with all your players and to lose a guy like that. As we all know, it's next man up. So Villanova and Kansas, that is the storyline Those matchups that we just discussed or I just mentioned in 2016 and 18, now having Kansas with another opportunity to slay those beasts and then Villanova, another opportunity for them to get to a national championship. And then Duke, North Carolina, uh, what could you say? We hope that this is just the makings of an all-timer and I could certainly see that. These are two schools. Do I even really need to get into this right now? Maybe for the person who just woke up and was under a rock for the last 40 years to kind of get into the Duke-North Carolina rivalry, that's like me going over the ALCS between the Yankees and Red Sox. 
I mean, do I really even need to dissect it or even discuss it? I hate to say this, and this is more of a business thing. It's nothing personal. I do not want to see Duke win a national championship. I don't want to see it. I hope it doesn't happen. Let him get to the final and then lose. It's nothing against Coach K. I just hate Duke. I can't stand him. And I get it. If they win, it'll be great for Coach K. It will be the ultimate cherry on the top of the Sunday if Duke is able to seal the deal. And we've seen how Coach K has responded. He's really been in the moment with the crowd, the interviews with Tracy Wolfson. He's really soaking this all in. And in any other year, I'm sure, yes, he's happy that his team won. He's happy that his team advances. But he looks at this from a standpoint of, I'm just solely looking at this as us and our team winning. Where he's able to take the surroundings and breathe it all in. He's let himself do that. And that's a credit to Coach K because as we all know, he is like a robot when it comes to him, his team, and trying to win a national championship. And you have to give it up because he's been able to absorb everything around him. And he's taken in this moment because he knows that this is it. And if it does happen to come to an end Saturday night or even Monday night in a loss, I'm sure it's not going to sit well, but at least he could hold his head high knowing that his team made it this far. And if he wins the whole thing, I mean, geez, (laughs) what more can you say? And as for North Carolina, they're going to be the team that, why not us? Yes, people are going to pick Duke. Everybody's going to look at Coach K, that whole story line and that angle. And I'm sure Hubert Davis is going to pump into his team all week. Nobody expected us to be here. Everybody expected X team, Y team, A team, B team. Nobody thought we'd be here, but now we are. And we've beaten Duke before. And we could go on and play the likes of Villanova, which would be interesting in that regard because remember, the Chris Jenkins shot at the end of the game in the 2016 March Madness year. Of course, they're not thinking that right now. And again, different coaching staff, etc. But if they do happen to beat Duke and they see Villanova on the other side, that's going to be something that I'm sure the school's going to salivate over. And then when you think about Kansas and North Carolina and how those two teams cross, how North Carolina beat Kansas several years ago. So when we look at this upcoming weekend, all you hope is for competitive basketball. You don't want to see teams getting blown out here. You don't want to see teams coming up short to the extent where we're hoping for nail biters, we're hoping for close games, and then 15 minutes in, Kansas is up 26 to 11. And then there's no turning back if you're the Wildcats. Or the clock may run 12 for the Blue Devils. As it did for St. Peter's, as we saw there yesterday, and there were no match for North Carolina. And kudos to Shaheen Holloway, who will probably go to Seton Hall right now, which has been rumored. So you got to give it up right across the river here in Jersey City. Can't discuss this college basketball, especially this past weekend, without mentioning them and what they've done. But here we are. Final four. It's set. I'm anticipating it. If you're going to ask me who I think is going to win the whole thing, 
I'm going to say Duke only because it seems like the college basketball gods has it in for the Blue Devils and for Mike Krzyzewski. Now, that's not a reverse jinx. I'm just putting that out there because I feel like Duke is going to win this thing. That's just my gut. And who knows? Stranger things have happened. Watch North Carolina go out and win the whole thing. But you cannot argue any one of these four teams can win it. And which one is the sexiest matchup? I think they're all good. If it's North Carolina, Villanova, or North Carolina, Kansas, and same for Villanova, Duke, and Kansas, Duke. I mean, they're all great matchups. So it's not as if, oh, if you have one team that makes it in, uh, it's not going to be, oh, they're all going to be sexy. So here we go, people. I know we still have a few days to exhale all the craziness of the tournament leading up to yesterday around 7.15, 7.20. I mean, the game was pretty much over at 6 o'clock when you think about it. But now we could talk about it all week. Get ready for a Final Four this coming Saturday and one that we all hope is going to be as advertised and even better than what we've seen so far leading up to this coming Saturday. All right, for the NFL fan, I'm going to appease you because this is going to be pretty quick when it comes to breaking down what has taken place here with the couple of players of note because as this very minute, The offseason has started to quiet down. The NFL draft, I believe, is a month from today. So that's the one thing that everybody's going to turn their attention to. Now that we're on the other side of the mountain when it comes to free agency and maybe some trades here, I'm sure there's going to be some trades leading up to the draft as far as teams trying to move up, trying to maneuver themselves to put them in good position to draft whatever player an organization wants. But the two stories, one... Matt Ryan getting traded to Indianapolis for a 2022 third-round pick. Was that a surprise? I guess a little bit because you probably thought Matt Ryan was going to end his career as he's by far on the back nine of his NFL career. And for him to go to Indianapolis comes as a little bit of a shock. But whatever could be squeezed out of that orange, lemon, whatever fruit you want to call Matt Ryan, and I'm not trying to call him a fruit, but you understand the metaphor He may have something left. They have some weapons there on offense. T.Y. Hilton, of course, the running game with the one Jonathan Taylor. But we know that his best days are behind him. We know that Ryan, who was a former league MVP and was a guy that, was he ever a top 10 quarterback? Uh, I guess maybe for a couple of years there in the mid-20-teens. But how much is left? to me, remains to be seen. That's not to say that he can't play anymore. That's not to say that he's done by any stretch. But we know his best days are behind him. Let's see if he's going to be rejuvenated to play on a team that, like I said, has a good offense and also has a very good defense and maybe can make some hay there in the AFC, which is already stacked, as we well know. And speaking of which, we talked about a stacked AFC for the longest time with the way the quarterbacks are, and that's a... Narrative that's never going to go away with the top quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, now Russell Wilson here in the AFC, Justin Herbert, you want to throw in Lamar Jackson, obviously you could do so, Deshaun Watson now in Cleveland. But you have to wonder with the Kansas City Chiefs, do you think by bringing in Juju Smith-Schuster and also Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and I'm sure 
Aaron Rodgers has to be raising his eyebrows over that. But by bringing in those two players and letting Tyreek Hill go to the Miami Dolphins, well, they didn't let him go. They actually traded him for five picks, a first, a second, and third round this year, and I believe two next year. And then he goes ahead to sign an $120 million contract with the Dolphins. But to me, it begs the question, is the invincibility of the Chiefs, is it still the same? Is it better? Or has it worsened? And to me, even though you bring in two guys to pretty much supplement the one guy, and you could say that they're better overall, but I think their invincibility is going to take a hit here. Because when you have a guy like Tyreek Hill who stretches the field like no other, and even though, not to knock Juju Smith-Schuster or even Marquez Valdez-Scantling, but even both of those guys together are not Tyreek Hill. And yes, it does add an extra weapon or two for Patrick Mahomes. We understand that it's going to be a scenario where the Chiefs will probably still be the class of the AFC West, that they're going to be the team a lot of people may even think that could go back to a Super Bowl. But I don't see that because Hill is so dynamic and is such a threat. And I get it. You could have the two safeties up top, the cover two, and you could thwart and throttle his progress as we saw there in some of the games over recent years. And just obviously you can look at the Bengal game for one in the AFC Championship. But to me, to have that threat taken away from you, and we all know you can't teach speed. And Hill is a guy that could wreck the game at any moment, as you saw there, even in the divisional game against the Buffalo Bills. He's a guy that could catch a five-yard pass and take it to the house within seconds. They don't have that anymore. And yes, you still have weapons abound with Miko Hardman, and you want to throw in Byron Pringle, obviously Travis Kelsey, and then the aforementioned two wide receivers. But to me, Hill adds that extra element that I don't think they're it's easily replaced. And you could throw five guys in there. And yes, I get it. A surplus of receivers, they're going to be stacked and they're still going to be dangerous. But not as dangerous to me if they still had Tyreek Hill. And as far as the Dolphins, they're trying to put as many pieces around Tua Tagovailoa to almost make it like an Alabama feel. Because when you look at Alabama, how stacked they are, I'm not going to go through all their receivers and players when Tua was there in Tuscaloosa, but now that you have two running backs that you brought in, Raheem Mostert and Chase Edmonds from the Niners and Cardinals respectively, obviously they already have Jalen Waddell in place, you bring in Tyreek Hill, they have Devontae Parker, Uh, this is a team that you look at offensively, All right, the quarterback you may not be in love with, but they have players at the skill positions that could do some damage here, and throw in their tight end Chris Kozecki, That's a pretty stout offense. But now let's see if Tua could hold up his end of the deal and take the Dolphins to places where they haven't seen in quite some time. And that's not only playing January football, but even going deep into January. So what does this mean for Tua and company? He still has a lot to prove to me. And what I've seen so far, yeah, he's had some flashes and some glimpses, but... When you pick him ahead of Justin Herbert, you've seen what he's done so far in the league. Ugh, I know if you're Steven Ross and the Dolphin Brass, you're just hoping and praying that two is going to deliver with all the pieces that are in place as far as the Dolphins go. And to me, it's a wait and see. I can't 
sit here to say that, oh, Tua's going to fail. He's not going to deliver. He's not going to come through. He has no excuses. He's got to deliver. Because if not, they're going to be looking for another quarterback down in Miami before you know it. And then, I hate to tie this into the Packers, but you have to wonder, Aaron Rodgers, all right, I lose Devontae Adams. He wanted more money. We haven't won with him. That's my guy, but so be it. And I'm not trying to make out Marquez Valdez-Scantling out to be Jerry Rice. But when you have Robert Tanyan, Alan Lazard, and I guess they're going to bring back Randall Cobb. I get that he can make me look good in that offense, but for a guy that they brought back for $150 million guaranteed and to run it back to try to finally get to their holy grail for the first time since 2010, don't you think they need an upgrade here at the wide receiver position? I get it that they have draft picks. I get it that they're probably going to take one of the top wide receivers if they can in this upcoming draft, but I'm sure if you're a Packer fan right now, you have to be scratching your head wondering who's he going to get the ball to? Because Robert Tanyan, Alan Lazard, the defensive coordinators on the other teams, they're not going to be shaking in their boots when they see those players at wideout or at tight end. So their front office has some work to do. And again, I'm not making out Valdez-Scantling to be the second coming, but geez, to lose two of your top guys and then figure it out along the way where a lot of free agency is pretty much over with. going to be interesting to see what's going to take place there up at uh, Lambeau Field here over the course of the spring into the summer. So That's what I have with the NFL. Let me turn my attention to the NBA and hockey quick before I go to baseball and a couple other things. I'll start with basketball. What in the hell is going on with the Boston Celtics is beyond me. I get it that since that 18-21 and 21 start, they have been 29-7. and seven. Their defensive efficiency has been through the roof. They have played lights out. They have beaten bad teams, but they've also beaten good teams along the way. And here they are, granted that they're in a flat foot tie with the Miami Heat, and they have certainly gone backwards here as they lost to both the Knicks and the Nets over the weekend at home. And a few weeks ago, I was singing their praises how the Heat had, I believe, what, 11 of their final 17 at home, They were tops in the Eastern Conference. Everybody was looking at Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and uh, the Brooklyn Nets for that matter. But with the way that the Heat have played, and even with the Celtics that they were on the come up, but now to the point where they're in a flat foot tie, and granted that there are four teams separated by half game, because you also have the Bucks and the Sixers a half game behind both the Celtics and Heat. I still can't believe when I open my eyes and have to scrub them 16 times to see that the Celtics are number one. It's almost like I'm looking at a ghost. And we know how Jason Tatum has taken to a game. And we've seen how Jason Tatum has taken his game to another level. Now Robert Williams got to worry about. He's going for an MRI today on a knee sprain that he suffered yesterday against the Timberwolves. And... He is one of those guys, I'm not going to say he's a glue guy, where Marcus Smart is more that glue guy, heart and soul, blood and guts type guy, but Robert Williams is not that far behind. All right, I'm not making him out to be Bill Russell, but still, in a day and age where everybody's shooting threes and you have these point totals in the 140s, 150s, 
to have a guy that's going to control the paint, be that defensive stalwart, it's refreshing to see. And yes, there are other guys in the league. We know the Rudy Gobert's. And we could, of course, go down the list. But for the Celtic team that was hovering around the 8, 9, and 10 mark in the Eastern Conference, and now for them to be this high, here I am talking about them and watch them in two weeks' time. They'll be a four seed in the Eastern Conference. Which will probably suit them best only because, if you can imagine, if things break how we expect them to break, and we all know that that's a big, giant question mark, we can see a Celtic net first-round series, which I'm sure the Celtics probably won't want. And although it will be juicy because of the Kyrie storyline, and I'll get to them in a minute, but I still can't believe what I've seen from this team night in, night out here for the last two months. And all I can say is, yes, I'm enjoying it. And it has been just an unbelievable turn of events. And I understand it's been gradual. It's not like it's happened overnight. But is this team one that could make it to an NBA final? I know the jaded, cynical side of me says no. Because I believe that the glass slipper will shatter. It won't even break. Now, they're only going to go as far as... Tatum and Brown are going to take them. And I get it that their defensive metrics are fantastic. But we all know when it comes to playoff time and when you go up against some of these teams that have the dominant scorer, whether you're Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, James Harden, Giannis, you got to throw in Chris Middleton because he's a guy that could get hot at any moment. You want to throw in DeMar DeRozan? I get it that the Bulls have... Not played well here over this last stretch. But when it comes to that, that's where it becomes difficult. When we get to that seven-game series and you see a player once, twice, three times, four, five, up to seven times in the series, where the game starts to slow down, where the game starts to become a a bit more mental and spiritual. You're not playing the dregs of the league anymore. You know, you're not flying into Sacramento and then your next trip is to play in Oklahoma City. No, those games are going to be long gone. So when you're down 3-1 against a Kevin Durant team or against a Sixer team, you're going to be wishing for those days of February and March how they just blitz through the NBA. And again, you play the teams that are in front of you, but still. But I do believe that they could go deep, they could go far because they have the young legs and they're a together team. And that may bode well when you go up against players that have been in the league a long time and they may tire down and they may get worn down a little bit. But we all know sometimes to have that experience and the Celtic team, especially with their two core players, they have the experience. But we all know that that dominant scorer can lead their team and pull them from the fire to victory. Can Tatum match wits with those aforementioned players? I think he can. But the question is, will he? Because you sure know that those other players, maybe not James Harden withstanding, but we've seen it happen with those other players. 
And that's what's going to be fascinating to see if the Celtics do happen to fall within those top two. You figure they're going to be obviously in the top four. But where they land and head into the postseason in about three weeks, that's what's going to be interesting. And that's where we'll have an even better telltale sign on how successful, even how deep they could go as far as closing out the season the way they've played here over the last two months. And then you have Kyrie, who's going to be able to play in home games. He had a terrible shooting performance last night. You have to give him that only because they played the night before in Miami. So with the mandates being uplifted here in New York City, and we talked about that over the last couple of weeks, especially last week, but you would think now Kyrie, as ecstatic and grateful that he is to finally be playing home games, and I believe now five of the last seven games are at home, so it's good for him. We shall see what type of momentum that's going to be for this net team because as it is right now, they will be in the playing game. And as of right now on the road against a Charlotte Hornet team who went into Barclays Center yesterday and beat them. So with that 8-9 matchup, Brooklyn will have to go to Charlotte if the season ended today and they're both at 39-36 where Cleveland and Atlanta are your 7-10 and 10 seeds and Atlanta will go to Cleveland in that first round playing game matchup but as we all know Brooklyn I'm sure they're going to try to get themselves primed and ready with Kyrie back in the fold who knows about Ben Simmons in his back now it's become a little bit of a joke I could see him ramping up his workouts once the trade was consummated as he came up the turnpike from Philly to Brooklyn but for him to now have a nagging back injury and he's not chances are not going to even play in any of these regular season games to close out the year, it really has to make you wonder and question what's going on between his ears and in his heart. And we get it. Mental health, illness, understood, but even he has to question why isn't he 100% healthy, knowing that he pretty much has been off since last May when they lost to the Hawks and everything that he's had to go through, understood. But if you're a Net fan, and Simmons, he's a... One of the biggest X-factors going into this postseason if he's healthy. Because, yes, he's not going to score a ton of points. Yes, I'm sure he's going to push the ball up the floor in transition. But he's a guy that could keep Giannis in check, Tatum in check, maybe even Embiid in check. And we know for sure Harden in check. He's a guy on that side of the floor that the Nets are going to absolutely need in April, May, and June. And right now he's nowhere to be found. But we'll see, because that's going to be obviously a big storyline going in. And speaking of matchups there with the play-in tournament, the Lakers had a 20-point lead against the Pelicans yesterday, and it slipped right through their hands. I can't even say slipped. It was just literally smacked out of their hands to where the Lakers are now in 10th place and just a game ahead of the San Antonio Spurs, who have now won three in a row for what that's worth. But here it is. The Lakers are now literally hanging by their fingernails to make it into a playing tournament. Says all you need to know about the Lakers this year. Their record is 31 and 43. You can't even make it up. The Grizzlies continue to win even without John Morant, which is just mind boggling. I, I think their record without John Morant is, off the top of my head, was it 17 and 2? It's ridiculous. You would think losing your best player, you'll probably be around 500, maybe a game over or a game under. No, they play even better without him. 
How that is possible, I don't even know. But the Suns, if they're not going to be the favorite going into this tournament this year to win an NBA final, I don't know. And you would think after last year being up 2-0, they would have a little bit of a hangover, kind of go through the motions, and then pretty much pick up where they left off. That has not been the case. 61-14, they're now winners. Eight straight. Chris Paul's now back. They beat the Sixers last night. They are going to be a tough out. And this was coming from someone who was not a believer in the Suns going back to last year. If I wasn't a believer then, or at any point this season, and smack me silly, a la Will Smith did to Chris Rock last night, you know I got to get to that. But here are the Suns leading the attack here in not only just the West, but throughout the NBA. And pretty much everything else has been status quo throughout the league when it comes to a lot of the matchups or storylines, things of that nature, which we're getting close to the end of this regular season and just two weeks from this coming Wednesday. And you know that uh, I'll be primed and ready to go come week end number one there sometime, was it April 16th, 17th to kick off the NBA playoffs? You know I'll be ready. Quickly with the NHL, as we get to the final month, you have teams that still need to play 17 games. So that's all you need to know. And I kind of hate to breeze through this, people, because not really much has happened. We know the trade deadline came and went. We talked about the deals last week. Not a lot of big-time players, whether you're that grinder, that championship cup-caliber winning player going to another team. Happened there late last Monday afternoon when the deadline came and went there at 3 p.m. But as we take a look at the land in the NHL, everything is pretty much just like the NBA. And this is what happens when you have these long seasons and you're just trying to get to the finish line. We know one team is out of the postseason, and that's the Canadians, as they officially, look at that, they went from going to a Stanley Cup final to now being the first team out and eliminated from playoff competition. No other team has clinched the playoff spot as of yet. We know that the Avalanche and the Panthers look like they could be the class of the East and the West, although there'll be some arguments in Carolina and maybe even an argument out West where the Calgary Flames, they put some separation between them and the rest of the pack in the Pacific Division. But the NHL, as unpredictable as it's been over the years, and we still have a month to go, I wish I could get into a little bit more. I wish I could discuss some storylines as we head into this final month. But we're just going to have to wait and see which team is going to propel themselves. We'll look at wild cards. As a matter of fact, I'll take a look at the standings real quick when it comes to the wild card. Now, sadly, in the East... It's going to be either Boston or Washington because the next team after them is Columbus and they are 15 points behind the Capitals. So you could pretty much put that to rest. And then out West, it's a little bit more intriguing because you have St. Louis and Vegas as your first two wildcard spots. And then you have Dallas, Winnipeg, and Vancouver. And those four teams, really five teams, excuse me, are separated by six points. St. Louis 79, Vegas 76, 
Then you have Dallas, 75, Winnipeg, 74, and Vancouver, 73. So you're going to have a race between those teams. And if you want to even throw in Edmonton, because they currently have the third seed in the Pacific. So if Vegas, let's say, wins and Edmonton loses, whatever their next game is going to be, and Edmonton has two games in hand, then Vegas will be in the top three seeds of the Pacific, where Edmonton will go down a peg. And unfortunately, your NHL races are probably not going to come down to the wire when we talk about wild card. And that's the one fascinating thing about the wild card because you want to have that action. You want to have something that in your city where your team can get themselves in position to make it into the wild card. And as we all know, it's a crapshoot once you get into the tournament. In the East, you can forget about that. And out West, at least you have some intrigue. But for those who are the casual sports fan, they're not going to care whether or not the Winnipeg Jets are making a push for that final wildcard berth or the Vancouver Canucks. I get it. The hockey fan is going to be interested. And of course, I'm going to follow. But, you know, it's not as if the Islanders are going to make a push or the Devils here locally or even the Canadiens, like I mentioned, making the Stanley Cup last year and their fringe playoff team. That's not going to happen. So, you know, I'll continue to have my fingers on the pulse with this people. But with still a month and change to go, let's see. What will take into shape, if anything will change, as you know, I'll be fully invested on what's going to happen here down the stretch of this NHL season. And one quick note, I failed to mention this last week. I visited the UBS Arena for the first time with my dear friend and lifelong Islander fan, John Irving. I got to give him a shout out. The building is beautiful. Obviously, it's not the Coliseum. Because you're attached to that building because of what it was and what it will always will be in the hearts of Islander fans out on Long Island and beyond. But it is a beautiful facility, bars everywhere. All right, I'm not crazy about their food options. When we think of new buildings, we think of just all these different restaurants that have been flooded, whether you go to City Field, Yankee Stadium, where you see all the local restaurants be a part of the fabric in that building or in that community and you do have a sense of it but again you're not going to die of thirst in the building and you're not going to go starving either so if there's one drawback to me it's that but the sight lines I sat at center ice in the 300s I believe 321 row 3 and it was as beautiful of a seat you could possibly have for sitting up high the sight lines are terrific I didn't go down low to the lower bowl to get an idea of what it looks like down there. Hopefully sometime in the future I will. But if you haven't been, you could definitely check it out. I know a lot of people want to go into new buildings just to see for the first time what it's like. Especially if you're from out of town. I get it that a lot of people aren't going to flock to an arena that's on the border of Nassau County and Queens. Of course, if you're in the five boroughs, you want to go see Yankee Stadium or the Garden or... Maybe even the Barclays Center for the diehard basketball fan. Understood. But if you like hockey and understand there's still a month left. So if you're in the neighborhood or if you haven't been, go out there. Get a sense of it. Especially for hockey. If you go for a concert, it's going to have a different feel. But for a sporting event, check it out. I think it's great. If I had to grade it, I'll say it's an A-. How's that? You know, I'd rather go... To watch a game, let's say, against the Rangers. I saw them when they played the Dallas Stars. So when you have a team that goes in there that's going to have a little bit of a playoff atmosphere, you'll have a better feel. But I enjoyed the arena. 
They have a Hall of Fame, which uh, it could have been a little bit better, but all right, plaques on the wall. So be it. I was expecting a little bit more. So that's why I'll, I'll even give it an A minus. Maybe border on a B plus, but I'll give it an A minus. So I'll leave it at that. With the baseball, as we're just 10 days away from opening day, the big story is whether or not the Yankees are going to put that offer, push forth the conference room table to Aaron Judge to where he's probably going to sign somewhere in the vicinity, if I had to guess, six years and $180 million. When you look at some of these other players and what they got, now Judge is 29 years old. I'm sure that plays into it as far as they could give him more annually and then less years. Similar to what Carlos Correa got, I don't think they're going to put forth a three-year deal. I would think it's probably going to be, I'd be shocked if it's more than seven. But I'm going to say six for 180, considering that Matt Olson got what? Eight for 168, and even Freddie Freeman got six for 168 or somewhere along those lines. But Judge wants to be a lifelong Yankee, and I get it. It's going to be controversial, and I've even had this hot take about maybe even trading Judge to get a bunch of pieces back, including pitching. But we understand he's the face of the franchise right now. It's not Giancarlo. It's not Garrett Cole. It's not DJ LeMayhew. It is Aaron Judge. And I understand you're going to have to keep him here. But you do have to wonder, 29 years old, yes, he had a pretty healthy season last year and a shortened season the year before, but now as he gets into another long season, health is always going to be at the top of his list when it comes to worries about whether or not he's going to be able to sustain with his frame, his body type, all the muscles on weathering an 162-game season, not just this year, but for as long as that contract's going to be. And he's going to get that type of money. There's no way he's going to get anything short than six years. I'd be shocked. You know, Judge is 29. I can see maybe he was 22. But even then, even if he's 22, they would even sign, a, sign him to a longer-term deal. But baseball's quiet. Next week, I'm going to get a lot into baseball, as you know. And, of course, not only 10 days from today is opening day, but it will also be my first Thursday podcast that, moving forward, you're going to hear me consistently week in and week out. So I'll handicap the baseball season then. So that's what we'll touch on with baseball. All the free agents have been signed. There really isn't anything to get into. I'm not going to wrap myself around what Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer is doing this exhibition season or during spring training or any of the other players for that matter. So we'll get into a lot of baseball here next week. And golf had a very, is it surprising? Maybe to a certain extent. But for Phil Mickelson... To miss the Masters for the first time in almost 30 years. I'm sure for the fans of Lefty, they are disappointed knowing that he's not going to grace the lovely golf course there at Augusta. And that's also 10 days from now. So you got a lot going on on April 7th between my first Thursday podcast and opening day, the Masters. A lot of it is due to the controversial comments, and we talked about this, him being my zero of the week, what was it, about three, four weeks ago. So for Mickelson to now step down for all the disparaging comments that he had in reference to the PGA Tour, involving himself with the Saudi League and trying to earn this $250 million jackpot, this payday, and for him to take a step back, I think it's good. Hopefully he's learned from this. He'll reflect a little bit. 
and maybe try to put things in perspective as far as not only just his comments, but maybe even his own personal inventory to kind of iron some things out. And yes, who am I to tell him, as I like to say, that being the morality police or being Mr. or Dr. Oz or Mr. Therapist for that matter. I can't even think of a right moniker to get into, but maybe this will be a good time for him to cool off, regroup, and I'm sure we'll be able to see him there the following month at the U.S. Open, and maybe things will kind of quiet down on the Mickelson front as he tries to pick up the pieces for what took place there a few weeks ago. All right, so let's wrap up here. Let's get right to it. My hero in zero of the week. My hero of the week goes to Ashley Barty, the number one women's tennis player in the world, who just recently came off a win at the Australian Open, the first woman to win going back to the late 70s, retiring from the sport at age 25. And I get it. This should have been something that in the tennis segment, which we mostly do when there are major tournaments, and this should have been more of a highlight to honor her throughout that tennis segment, if you will. But to have her as the hero of the week, and the reason why is because for someone who's at the pinnacle of her sport, not only coming off of a major Grand Slam victory, who she won three in her career, but also being number one, and at the tender age of 25 to do so, feeling that she wants to chase other dreams, she no longer feels compelled to do what she knows that is required to be the best that she can be in the sport, and we all know tennis, somewhere in the middle toward the bottom of the food chain when it comes to sports, but for those that are sports fans and for those that watch, we know that it is a war of attrition, and not to use that word, but it's a battle of attrition, let's just call it that, and knowing that she could go on to the next stage of her life saying that, and I quote, I'm so happy and I'm so ready. I just know at the moment in my heart and for me as a person that this is right. This is something that she posted on Instagram. And congratulations to her. Knowing that she got enough out of playing tennis and leaving the sport the way she has. Now, does this mean could there be a return at some point because of her age? And I'm sure maybe if she came back in a year or two, I know a lot of people start thinking, oh, geez, that phony retirement. Here she is coming back for a payday. Well, we're not going to know that, but as a right this second, how many other professional athletes, whether in a team sport or in this case in an individual sport, that a player is going to not only go out on top, but go out on their own terms? Congratulations to you, Ashley Barty. You are my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, and dare I even say or even discuss this individual, although there is a correlation between he and sports to where last night the whole world witnessed the slap heard around the world where Will Smith went up on stage and literally landed, not a right cross, but just a right smack across the face of Chris Rock, who was presenting for Best Documentary Feature. And Rock had made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, of course, Will's wife, about her possibly being in G.I. Jane 2 because of her bald head and G.I. Jane, the reference to the Demi Moore movie back in the 90s. And it was not only a scenario that at first we were made to believe that it was a joke or some sort of prop or I don't even know, whatever you want to call it. But for then ABC to have to put the 
Seven second delay and the, not even a bleep, it was just a mute for about 20 seconds and reading the lips of Will Smith and what he said to Chris Rock about keeping his wife's name out of his fucking mouth, excuse my French, but to watch that all unfold and for him to just go up there and do what he did. And mind you, it was a joke. Later we found out that Jada Pinkett Smith has alopecia. I didn't know about it. I'm sure there was a ton of other people that didn't know about it. And not to say that it's our business by any stretch, but... And for him at first to even laugh at the joke, and then to go up there and smack him the way he did, I worry more about Chris Rock than Will Smith because what is his psychological, spiritual, and emotional threshold is as of this moment is he brushing it off is he actually scarred by this considering that the whole world was watching I mean this thing on so many levels was just ugly and Will Smith on a night that he was about to win the best actor award for his portrayal of Richard Williams the father of Serena and Venus Williams in the movie King Richard and that's where the sports ties in and for him to be on stage and he still could have been up on there talking about his career and everything that he mentioned on stage, but not one mention of apologizing to the fans, to everybody in the building, obviously to Chris Rock, and apologizing to the Academy and the four other nominees in his category. What was he apologizing to them for? I don't know. And what was the apology about? He didn't say. It was a, forget about terrible. It was a downright deplorable few minutes of television, awkward, uncomfortable, and give it up to Chris Rock because he took the smack like a champ. He was as seamless as he could possibly be. So all the kudos needs to go out to him. But for Will Smith to do that, and again, I know this isn't a sports thing. I was going to give it to Yusef Nurkic. He's the Portland Trailblazer center who was fined $40,000 after about to go into the locker room, and then a fan, I guess, got too close with a cell phone, so he took the cell phone and threw it. He was going to be my zero of the week, but I have to mention this. Obviously, this just happened, what, 12 hours earlier, number one. Number two, yeah, it does tie into sports in a certain extent. I mean, not fully, but I just couldn't believe what I saw, and here it is, not even a full day later. It's just tough to digest to think that for a guy that was on the verge of being only the fourth African-American to win the Best Actor category. And for it to go down like that, man, it just marred the whole night, the whole event, and even his speech on top of that. I understand i got to protect my family, a la Richard Williams and what he did with his daughters and his wife, etc. But that was just lame sauce, if you ask me. So, Yusef Nurkic, you get off the hook, or maybe you're a 1A in this case, but in a different twist or take, Will Smith, you are my zero of the week. That'll wrap it up. Episode 244 just about in the books. And as I acknowledge you, the listener, the fan, for not only taking the time out of your busy schedule to listen to me discuss everything that's happening in the sports world, but I do not take your participation lightly or for granted in that regard. So thank you twice more than once for stopping by and listening to me babble about the sports landscape. And if you haven't done so already, as I said at the top, and I'll say now, 
Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast as we're going to go double dip starting next week. So a little programming note, as I've been saying here over the last couple of weeks. Monday and Thursday, you're going to get a double dose of yours truly. Just everything that happens in the world of sports. You know the drill. So please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, or praise, or a suggestion, whatever it may be, you could do so at the following. J Reels or the J Reels Podcast on Instagram. J Reels 1, just the number on Twitter. The J Reels Podcast fan page on Facebook. Or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send them my way. I'll be more than happy to follow up. And then lastly, my Patreon page, if you want to contribute to the podcast, that's www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N, as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I would greatly appreciate. It will go 100% to this endeavor. As I say week in and week out, the website, equipment, the full production, so that you could hear me crystal clear, concise, coming through your earbuds or speakers. Because if you haven't been paying attention, or if you do or do not know, this is in my blood. This is what I love to talk about. This is what I love to dissect, to regurgitate even to a certain extent. But of course, delivering my thoughts, opinions, analysis, breakdown on everything that's happening in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. And one last thing before I bid adieu. I'll be back in the air next Monday, as you know, and then follow that up with Thursday. But I'll be on the West Coast. It's my birthday week. I'll turn 53 on Thursday. So I'm heading out to Northern California, to San Francisco tomorrow. I'll try to do my best to be on top of everything that's going on in the world of sports. You know that's my deal. But you know, as much as I'll be on top of it, I'll be ready to deliver everything that's happening. And again, I do appreciate you stopping by to listen to all of it. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.